0: Ordinary. That's the best word to describe Zachariah's day. Ordinary. Just another day in Jerusalem as a priest in the temple of the Lord. He woke up at 530 a.m. as he did every morning. He said his morning prayers. He ate his oatmeal. He dressed in his priestly attire. He kissed his wife Elizabeth of many, many years goodbye and went to work at the temple just like he had done normally for more than probably 65 years or more. When he arrived at the temple that day, all the priests drew lots as they normally did. It was a sort of ancient rock, paper, scissors, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, to see whose turn it was to do the priestly duties in the holy place, this place where they believed that God sat on this earth. And there they would burn incense on the altar before the Lord. The lots fell on Zechariah. It was his turn. No surprise. He had done this many, many times before. And Zechariah prepared and entered into the holy place. Just another ordinary day at Zechariah's office, or at the temple, rather. The worshipers gathered outside as they always did, as the priest was in the holy place. No one expected anything out of the ordinary to happen in worship Why would it? It's worship, after all. Everything should be expected. But then, the unexpected happened. The extraordinary appeared. There in the corner was an angel. Scripture says it sort of nonchalantly. An angel appeared, but it was very unexpected. Standing in the corner by the altar of incense, and Zechariah is terrified. The first message out of the angelic visitor's mouth is, do not be afraid. That's what these New Testament angels always say when they show up, which suggests there's something rather terrifying about their appearance and something terrifying about this entire experience. In our world today, angels are everywhere, on TV, in nativity scenes, on Christmas cards, even out in the outfield, angels. They're ubiquitous. But if one showed up today while we are in the middle of worship, standing over there in the corner, hovering behind the communion table, over by the organ, how would we respond? (laughs) Scripture gives us some descriptions of these angels. They usually have wings, more than two actually, sometimes four or six. They're big, they're warrior-like. They're not precious moments. Angels. This is not Clarence, the guardian angel from It's a Wonderful Life. They are terrifying, <laughs> warrior-like beings. And so they start things off with, do not be afraid. And then the angel gives Zachariah his message. That Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, in their old age, are going to have a son. And this son, whom we will know as John the Baptist, will prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Lord. I love Zachariah's response. He says, I am an old man, but he doesn't call his wife old. This old priest has some sense. He's pastoral. He says, I'm an old man, but my wife is, well, you know, she's getting a little up in years. And he laughs at the prospect of this. How could you not laugh? It's hilarious. I am old, Zachariah says, and the angel responds, I am. And Gabriel and the angel tells him that he will now be silent until this child is born and he leaves the temple that day in quiet well, fast forward to today in theaters right now is a movie I have not seen this movie the man who invented Christmas it tells the story of Charles Dickens writing the beloved book the Christmas Carol a book that did not invent Christmas But it did change forever the way that the world celebrates Christmas. Now, I hope to see the movie, and I've enjoyed reading kind of several stories that have been written, uh, to give us the story behind the novel. Before Dickens wrote this book, Boxing Day, anybody celebrate Boxing Day last year? Before he wrote the book, Boxing Day was bigger in England than Christmas. When he finished his, when he pitched his book to the publisher's, They thought it was a horrible idea. Who would want to read a book set in Christmas, on Christmas Day, they thought. But he talked them into it, and the rest, well, the rest was history. It quickly became a bestseller in Great Britain as well as throughout America. He went on a tour and sold even more books, thousands and thousands sold, that changed forever the way we think about this holiday. Many of our traditions began to be born after this book was written. Uh, Dickens' story is the one that gave us this expectation of snow, of a white Christmas. The Christmas feast with that prized turkey like the one that Scrooge brings into the Cratchit's house. The focus on giving and receiving of gifts. Dickens' novel introduced us to the question that no one seemed to ask before he wrote it. What is the meaning of Christmas? Originally, Dickens didn't even set out to write a novel, however. Instead, he wanted to write a pamphlet, a pamphlet that he entitled An Appeal to the People of England on Behalf of the Poor Man's Child. Now, I'm not sure how the Muppet or Mickey Mouse adaptation of that pamphlet would have gone, but surely not as good as The Christmas Carol. It's good that Dickens began to think a little more on this and reconsidered this pamphlet idea and decided to write a novel, to deliver his message in the form of a story. And so he created Scrooge and Bob Cratchit, Marley, Tiny Tim, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. He created this timeless story of this cold-hearted, greedy, wicked, evil, despicable old man, Scrooge, whose fate was seemingly set from the very first pages of the novel, whose heart could never be changed. And yet he told this story of redemption, of a cold heart being broken, of Scrooge seeing the error of his ways and repenting. See, Dickens, his Christmas carol, isn't just a feel-good story about the season. It's a message. It's a message of repentance. It was, for him, a call to Western society to call us away from greed and affluence so that we hear the cries of the poor among them. And his inspiration was not the scripture, But it was a report, a governmental report that Dickens read, a report on child labor in the United Kingdom. In the report, he read the testimony of poverty-stricken young girls who sew dresses for the expanding market of middle-class customers. How they regularly worked 16 hours a day, six days a week, so that the middle class could have clothing. He read of eight year old children who dragged coal carts through subterranean passages over their 11 hour <coughs> workday. These were not exceptional stories, the report said. This was ordinary for England. And the report left Dickens stricken. He had to do something. So he wrote a Christmas carol, his message. It wasn't a message of judgment on the society, but a message of hope, of repentance, of hearts, turning back to the Lord, back to compassion for your fellow human beings. Dickens' story did what the angel Gabriel promised Zachariah's son would do. It made ready a people prepared for the Lord. So now what is an angel anyway? Over the rest of Advent, we're going to look at these angelic visitation stories that surround the birth of Jesus from Zechariah to Mary to Joseph to the shepherds in the field. It's hard to read these stories without making Gabriel into one of our pop culture iconic angelic representations. Our English word angel comes from the Latin word angelus, which comes from the Greek word angelos. Roll your eyes if I'm getting a little too nerdy. But this word angelos, angelos, didn't refer so much to a being as to a function. An angel was someone, perhaps anyone, who had a message to deliver, and the sender of the message was God. Angels are messengers from God. But their messages are never simple news flashes. Attention, humans, God just did something you should know about it. Their messages are invitations. God is doing something. God is planning to do something, a new thing. Would you like to be a part of it? God is changing the world. You have a role to play if you choose to accept. This is their message, which gives Gabriel's greeting a double meaning. Do not be afraid. Yes, because I look terrifying. But also do not be afraid because the message I'm about to bring to you could change your life and the world forever. Now, we're told that Dickens, when writing his book, actually, like Zacharias, saw some messengers appear in the corner of his study. His messengers were what he called the children of my fancy. That is, his characters come to life. Dickens would actually see them as he wrote Scrooge standing in the corner, Tiny Tim there with his crutches telling their story. And even when he was not working, it is said that Dickens could feel the tugging on his sleeve, them telling him time to get back to work. In a lot of ways, this is the message of Advent. This is the message that the angel Gabriel delivers to Zachariah. This is the message that we hear from Scripture this time of year, time to get back to work, because the world is not how it should be. It is not how God would wish it to be. And so the message comes to us. Maybe it's an angel, maybe it's a ghost of Christmas past, present or future. Maybe it's a report on inequality, a news story of suffering in Syria. News that last week was the busiest week of the Norwalk Food Pantry in history. A message from God that leaves us stricken. At first, like Zechariah, we cannot even speak. For the news is too great. It's sort of stuck in our throat like a lump. We can't swallow. We're afraid, afraid of what is happening, afraid of what might happen if we were to stand up and deliver the message. I mean, who are we that we should speak of God's hope? Who are we, you and I, that we would be messengers from God? I mean, give us some wings, maybe a halo, perhaps, then we could speak. But there are no wings, just a message, A message of more hope, more hope for a world in desperate need of a new story. Now, Zechariah eventually finds his voice, and when he does, Scripture tells us he begins to sing. We didn't read it earlier, but it's called the Song of Zechariah. It happens right after our Scripture reading Often called the Benedictus, a song that has been sung or spoken in prayer by Christians every day for hundreds of years. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, Zechariah sings, for he has looked favorably on his people. He has redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of the servant David as he spoke through his holy prophet of old. And you, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, he sings. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to the people for the forgiveness of sins. By his tender mercy, our God, from the dawn from on high, will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. That is Zacharias' response. How? we respond. We've heard the message. It's time to get to work. It's time to swallow that lump in our throat, find our voice, find a way to declare to our world more hope.